Good morning. It's always uh, interesting to stand up from the front row and turn around and see, oh really, there are a lot of people in here. <laughs> it's our privilege to be with you this morning and uh, looking forward to sharing God's word with you in the next few moments. Um, after 35 years in Africa, sometimes when I'm standing up in front of people and I'm a bit nervous, um, I would almost prefer speaking Swahili instead of English, but uh, probably not many today that would understand that. So, Paul wrote to the church in Colossae while he was in prison. And in spite of his situation, he speaks out of a heart full of praise for the living God who loves us, who has chosen us, who forgives us. We too must be reminded of the triune God who loves us, who has chosen us, and who forgives us. We face the need for forgiveness all the time. Uh, when you consider the uh, recent school shootings, and you wonder how in the world are the families of those 17 going to forgive the shooter, or the fellow students, each of us face the need for forgiveness in our own lives too. Can God really forgive me? Am I going to be able to forgive those who have sinned against me? It's my prayer that uh, the three verses of Colossians 3 verses 12 to 14 will help us all to understand better God's forgiveness for us and our response in holy living. Out of reverence for the living God whose word this is, please stand with me as I read Colossians 3, verses 12 to 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Father, in the next few minutes as we uh, look more closely at this your word, we ask that you would help us to understand not just intellectually but in, in our heart of hearts, in our wills, that we might live as you would have us to live. Thank you, Father, for your word. Help us now, Holy Spirit, to hear with our hearts, for I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Forgiveness is at the heart of the Christian faith. In fact, Christianity is the only religion where God's declaration of justified and forgiven is not legal fiction. It's not fiction. Jesus has purchased it for us. We are forgiven by his sacrifice on the cross his sacrifice that was sufficient and efficient, his sacrifice that we receive by faith. It's not a fiction. When we respond to God's gospel call by trusting Jesus Christ, we are forgiven completely and eternally. 
Our record is wiped clean. And not only are we at zero as far as God is concerned, we're not just brought from sinner to zero, but Christ's righteousness is added to us. We are declared righteous on the basis of what He has done, not because of anything we have done. And when God has chosen us, when God has cleansed us through the blood of Christ, when we have received that cleansing by faith, there is nothing in all the world that can unchoose us from God or cause Him to unlove us or cause us to become again a stench in His sight. Romans 8 assures us when it asks the question, what can separate us from the love of God? What? Nothing. Nothing, Nothing in all the world can separate us from God's love. Nothing. But we don't fully appreciate the value of God's gracious gift of forgiveness through faith in Christ until we have seen ourselves and have a better estimate of the awfulness of our treason before our holy God. We are sinners by nature. We are sinners before we have even done a sin because it's our sin nature. Our thinking is sinful. Our actions are sinful. Our motives are sinful. Our relationships are sinful. Even our bodies are affected by sin. All of us is affected by sin. There's not a part of us that is not touched by sin. Everything we do as unredeemed people, everything we do is in rebellion against God. Even if we are doing something that society would say is a good thing, it's tainted, it's spoiled by our wrong relationship with God, our wrong motives, the things that are in our heart that make what we are doing done to our own glory instead of to Him. The Bible tells us that even our righteous acts are as what? Filthy rags. Filthy rags. There is no other way to be made right with God than through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus tells us in the Gospel of John that no one can come to the Father except through Him. Peter tells us in Acts that there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. If you are still carrying that awful burden of sin, don't carry it anymore. Bring it to the cross of Jesus Christ. He has paid for it. We lived in the bush of western Kenya for many years, and for the first number of years that we lived there, we drove an open pickup truck, just the two of us, and uh, there was no other vehicle in the community. And so when we made a trip to town, people were always standing beside the road going like this, wanting us to stop and give them a ride. Every once in a while, one of those uh, hitchhikers would be a, a Pocut woman carrying a bundle of firewood on her head, a baby on her back, and she would always have something in her hands too. And we'd pull up beside her and she would somehow clamber over the tailgate of the pickup with this wood on her head and baby on her back and stuff in her hands. And she would sit down in the bed of the pickup 
with the wood on her head, the baby on her back, and the stuff in her hands. Now, we laugh at that, but we do the same thing when we come to God asking for forgiveness, and we carry the load with us. It's as if we are saying, oh, Jesus, thank you for what you did, but it's not quite enough. It's not doing the job. We are assured of his forgiveness. When we repent, when we confess, God is faithful and just and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We must trust the work of Jesus Christ. It's sufficient. All we have to do is accept it. But only if you have done that is the rest of this message relevant to you. Because this letter is addressed to the church in Colossae. It's addressed to believers. And as the church of Jesus Christ, we are part of the body of Christ. And so this letter to Colossae is addressed to us as well. In case you haven't heard it yet, the overarching theme of this message is that as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are chosen and loved by God. And because we are chosen and loved by God, we must respond in right living. That means right thinking, right management of our emotions, right relationships, right worship, the whole of our life being lived as an act of worship before God who sees us all the time. In these three short verses that we read this morning, Colossians 3, 12 to 14, we see three mandates. We are to clothe ourselves, we are to bear with each other, and we are to put on love. Let's look first at clothing ourselves. Because we are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, believers must clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Wouldn't it be nice if you could open your closet on any morning of the week and find an outfit that would have all of these character traits that you could just put them on? Well, we dress purposefully every day when we get up. Most of us do. <laughs> If we know what we're going to do, if we know who we're going to be with, if we know what the weather's like outside, we dress accordingly. When was the last time you put on character traits specifically, purposefully, because you are chosen by God? You are holy and dearly loved by your Creator. That's our first mandate in this passage. Has Jesus not shown you compassion, gentleness, kindness, patience? Has Jesus not demonstrated for us humility when he stepped down from heaven and became one of us? He put aside all that was rightfully his to walk this dusty earth with us, to experience hunger and thirst and tiredness, to be mocked to be crucified for your sins and mine. Is that not humility that the Son of God 
creator of all, loved us so much? And what is our response? What does he expect of us in response to what he has done for us? Are we willing to put on compassion, gentleness, kindness, patience, and humility? Are we willing to treat our neighbors, our co-workers, our family with these character traits that demonstrate Christ living in us? What would that look like in your life? What would habitual, what, what habitual garments might you be wearing that you might need to put off? Just a few verses ahead of where we read this morning, we are told that we are to put off to rid ourselves of anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, and lying. This isn't a suggestion. It's a command put it off to rid ourselves of it, to get rid of it, throw it in the trash. Can you wear two outfits at once? Not if you want to have any freedom of movement and, and feel comfortable. And it is like that with our old self and our new self. We are to put off the old and put on the new. But we can only do that when we are empowered by Jesus Christ himself living in our hearts. When he, when he left this world, his physical being, he promised that he would never leave us or forsake us. And he has sent the Holy Spirit to be ours, to live in us. And that Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living God, lives in us, reigns in us. And he will empower us and enable us to do God's bidding. When we realize how hopeless we are in this world and the next as sinners without Christ, then we appreciate more the freedom and the hope and the joy that is ours in Christ and can experience the empowering of the Holy Spirit living in us, enabling us to clothe ourselves with compassion, gentleness, kindness, patience, and humility. Once we are so clothed, we are then ready to interact with others. And what is our command as we prepare to interact with others? Because we are chosen by God, holy and dearly loved, we must bear with one another, forgiving whatever grievances you may have against one another. Uh-oh. This has suddenly become very difficult. What is it we're supposed to do? Bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. This letter was written to the church in Colossae, not to unbelievers. Yes, we are supposed to forgive our enemies, but that's not what is being addressed here. What is being addressed in this passage is our relationship to one another as members of the body of Christ. Sometimes as we live and work and worship in close proximity, it becomes more difficult to forgive those who are close to us than those who are at a distance. This isn't the only place where God gives us this command. 
Jesus also included it in his model prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer. Could be more accurately described as the disciples' prayer because it's what he uh, modeled that he gave his disciples. In that prayer, we pray, forgive us our debts as, how? As we forgive those who sin against us. Hmm. The last time you prayed that prayer, was your heart completely clean toward everybody? Your family members? Your next door neighbor? Uh, somebody who has offended you? Hmm. Do you really want God to forgive you in the same way that you forgive others? God is unchanging. He does as he, will, as he has done and always will do because he doesn't change. He's faithful. The variable in this short request in the Lord's Prayer, to forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, the variable in there is the way we forgive. This is a serious issue. Forgiveness is the essence of our faith, our relationship with God and with each other. All our relationships depend upon this action that can only be accomplished when we are clothed with compassion, kindness, gentleness, patience, and humility. But if you refuse to respond the way God would have us to respond, and if you refuse to forgive your husband, your wife, your roommate, your co-worker, your neighbor, you are in a very precarious position. Forgiveness is so important that Jesus adds a sort of footnote after the Lord's Prayer in verses 14 and 15 of Matthew 6, when he says, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive you. That's pretty serious. Jesus teaches the same lesson again in Matthew 18. Verses 14 to 20 outline a process for how to handle it when one uh, Christian sins against another. It's a good process because it helps us to work our way around our sometimes unruly emotions. But then to illustrate that teaching, Jesus tells the story that was read for us earlier about the unforgiving servant who owed his master a debt he could never pay. And he begged for forgiveness and his master forgave him. Then what did he do? He went outside, grabbed his fellow servant by the throat and said, pay me what you owe me. A mere pittance by comparison to what he owed and had been forgiven. Now listen to what Jesus goes on to say. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Those are hard words. Those are hard words. It's difficult to forgive. Yet again, in Matthew, 23, verse, uh, Matthew 5, verses 23 and 24, Jesus teaches us that if you are offering your gift at the altar and remember that your brother has something against you, 
Leave your gift there. First go and be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. How many gifts might there be in these offering plates that were given with a heart that was not right with our brother or sister and therefore were given in a way that is offensive to God? How much of our worship service as we have been here together is actually an offense to God because we are not responding out of love. We are not forgiving our neighbor. We are not clothing ourselves with compassion, kindness, <coughs> gentleness, patience, and humility. God has chosen you if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, he has chosen you. He has called you holy and dearly loved. When we refuse to forgive another who is chosen and holy and dearly loved, we are not obeying God. My brother and my sister, this must not be. This must not be. Forgiveness is so essential to what we believe and to our Savior whom we follow. It's so essential in our relationship with God and with each other that we must get this right. But it gets a bit confusing. Didn't we just say earlier that God forgives us completely when we are washed with the blood of Christ? That we are eternally clean and secure in Him? Don't we agree with 1 John 1, verses 8 to 10, that when we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness? Now, how can we be forgiven completely and yet still need to confess sin, to repent, and to ask forgiveness? How can we be forgiven and not forgiven at the same time and by the same God? who doesn't change. I don't know how many philosophy students there are in here, but you can't do that. You can't have forgiveness and not forgiveness at the same time by the same person. I've struggled with this a lot, and I had to do a lot of reading and a lot of research to see if I could figure this out, and I hope that what I found will help you. When we respond to God's gospel call and realize that we are sinners without a hope in this world, and, and accept the forgiveness that is ours in Christ, submit to God's rule in our life, we are declared righteous on the basis of Jesus' finished work on our behalf. God forgives us because Jesus has paid the sin in its entirety. That gracious forgiveness is applied to us by faith. That is a judicial positional forgiveness. It's, it's like a proclamation from the judge. You're forgiven. It's over. It's done. It's a positional proclamation because we are put in the position of one of God's children now, holy and dearly loved. Nothing in all the world can change that. We saw that in Romans 8. It's an ultimate forgiveness. But there's another kind of forgiveness, 
because we all know that we still sin. Even after we have come to Christ, we still sin. And we still need forgiveness. And we still need to repent and confess. And so there's a second kind of forgiveness that is demonstrated for us in the story of the prodigal son. When the prodigal son took what was not yet fully his and ran away and spent it in profligate, whatever kind of living that is, <clears throat> bad living, making bad choices, eventually he ran out of money. He used up all of his inheritance and he was reduced to eating pig food. And he came crawling back to his father, hoping to be made at least a servant, that he might have food and a place to live. But what did he see as he came trudging down that dusty road? Did he see his father standing there, scowling at him, waiting for him to get closer? <laughs> his father picked up his robes, ran to meet him embraced him, welcomed him back, threw a party for him, forgave him. That is the kind of father forgiveness that is intimate forgiveness. Not the ultimate forgiveness, but it is an ongoing, relational, intimate forgiveness. That same kind of forgiveness is ours when we too turn our backs on our sins and come back to God and repent of sin and He forgives us and welcomes us back. We never lost that positional judicial forgiveness, but our relationship with God has been strained and stained by our sin. Now I think we all have a pretty good understanding of what forgiveness looks like between us and God. We need it and we want it. What is more difficult is forgiving one another. In short, this is God's Word. It's not my Word. God's Word is authoritative. And on the authority of God's Word, I declare to you that we must forgive each other from our heart. Not play acting, not being polite and nice, but forgiving from our heart. I know there have been monstrous sins committed against some of us by people that we should have trusted. And it may be extremely hard to forgive, but that's our mandate. That's our mandate. But forgiveness does not mean condoning the sin. It does not mean, as we so often hear, forgetting. God can forget. God pushes it as far as the East is from the West. We're not God. But we don't want to dwell on it. But we don't forget, and that not forgetting helps us to protect ourselves. Forgiving another person does not necessarily mean immediate restoration of trust. Forgiving another does not necessarily mean immediate reconciliation. Those may be things toward which we can work. But when we forgive another, basically what we are saying is, you did that, and I'm not going to hold it like this anymore. 
I'm holding it like this. I'm not holding you accountable for it. I'm not going to bring it up again. I'm not going to discuss it again. I may be very slow in rebuilding trust, rebuilding relationship, being reconciled again, but I'm not going to hold it like this, like, like this. <clears throat> you can only forgive others, though, if you have put on that last virtue that is in these three verses, that virtue of agape love. And we can only do that as we are enabled again by the Holy Spirit. Agape love is not a warm, fuzzy feeling. Agape love is an action word. It's what we do with disregard for what we may or may not get back from what we do, with disregard for our own convenience, with disregard for the cost that may come from that. It's in response to God's agape love that he has poured out on us in so many ways. Do you want your worship to be acceptable before God? Do you want to live at peace with your fellow man? What's standing in the way? Have you experienced God's ultimate forgiveness, his once for all time forgiveness purchased for us by Christ on the cross? And are you experiencing daily that intimate, ongoing forgiveness? A minute ago, I was demonstrating this way and this way. <clears throat> Monkeys are interesting creatures. Um, they, they are intelligent. I have read about some monkeys even being trained to help people who have trouble around the house doing things for themselves. And they can take food from the refrigerator and put it in the microwave and hit the button on the microwave and retrieve it when the bell dings and take it to their master. Now, I don't know that I would want a monkey serving me my food, but they're useful because they can do a lot of things. Monkeys are clever. And they're greedy, and they're curious, and they're a nuisance in some places. In Africa, they can be a real nuisance getting into people's houses and their fields, and so people trap them to try to uh, get rid of them. The trap that they use in some places in Africa is to hollow out a coconut shell and leave a small hole and put grain inside, and then they attach the coconut shell to a tree. And the curious and greedy monkey comes along and he sees the coconut shell and he knows it doesn't belong there on the side of the tree, so he starts investigating. And inside he sees the grain and he puts his hand in there, gets hold of the grain, but now he's stuck. His fist is too big to come out of the hole. Are we not more clever than monkeys? <laughs> Do we want to hang on? to those grievances and those sins against us to the point that it creates bitterness and hardness in our hearts. My friends, we must open our hands, clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, gentleness, patience, and humility, forgiving each other whatever grievances we may have against each other and putting on that overcoat of agape love. As we prepare to celebrate 
our union with Christ and our co-union with each other, we must make sure that our hearts are right with God. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for all that your word teaches us and challenges us. Holy Spirit, how we need your help to live out your word, to, to live with our families and our neighbors and our co-workers in such a way that our behavior proclaims Christ, our words proclaim Christ. Use us, Father, to bring glory to your name. In Jesus' holy name, amen.